0: Well, let's dig in. Let's dig in. Judges 10, 11. I hope the song we just sang, I was thinking of the, the, the chorus even specifically and the text and the, the topic we have at hand. I pray that the song we were just sang, Just As I Am, whether you're come wounded, broken, um, that, that ultimately we find Christ here. We see our healing in Jesus because the, the topic at hand, I know that some have been affected by what we're about to talk about. Um, that is leadership and improper leadership, poor leadership, ungodly leadership. And so, leadership matters, doesn't it? Can we agree with that statement? Leadership matters. In the Apostle Peter's first letter, he, at the end of it, he exhorts fellow elders he's, and those that are placed in his position of leadership. He says that they're to care and they're to lead in a gentle and loving way. Listen to what Peter says. He says to the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge. But be examples to the flock. The Apostle Paul says something very similar, just a little bit more succinct in uh, the book of Corinthians to the church there. He says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, he just says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Jesus, in John chapter 21, following his resurrection, asked Peter this this question over and over and over again. But the second time he asks the same question, he says, Peter, do you love me? To which Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And so Jesus says to him, so tend my sheep, meaning Peter, shepherd my church. Shepherd the children of God. Care for them, protect them. Lay your life down for them as I have laid my life down for you. Lead them away from danger. Lead them toward green Pastures, which is the presence of God, lead them toward the the person of Christ. Leadership matters. It's important. Scripture seems pretty clear with how those in leadership are to lead the church. And yet even with these clear instructions that are given within Scripture to leaders, there seems to be a, a crisis of spiritual abuse that's happening within the church at the very hands of those who are called and charged to lead and to shepherd and to be these imitators of Christ. So alarming is this crisis of spiritual abuse that even at a a conference that I was at just a few months ago, and several of the staff even attended as well, uh, there was a breakout session specifically addressing this problem of spiritual abuse within the church, and it was packed. I walked into this room, and, and about 1,500 people are packing into this room Wall to wall, people who are in ministry, who have shepherded people, who have been abused, um, church members who have been and walked through uh, ungodly leadership, they've been affected by this rise of just domineering leadership within churches all across the nation. Leadership matters. But pastors aren't the only ones that are called to lead. Ephesians 5, husbands are called to lead and love their wives, just as Christ loved the church. In Ephesians 6, dads are called to shepherd their families and and, and not to provoke their children to anger, but rather disciple and to discipline them to love and treasure Jesus. In 2 Timothy 2, men in general are called to disciple other men within the church. In Titus 2, women are called to disciple other women within the church and to teach what is good and what is right. From Scripture, it seems pretty clear that there needs to be within the church a culture of leading others and a desire to be led. In Eric Geiger and Kevin Peck's book, Designed to Lead, they claim right at the outset that the church should be a leadership. They define it as locus meaning that the central or the main place where leadership training and development is found, they say, should be found within the church, the local church. However, and, and this isn't true, of course, across the board, but there, there does seem to be a significant leadership deficiency and in some places a crisis within the church today, both from those who are called to lead as pastors and from even the members within the church itself where they're just not leading one another. So, so what do we do? Because it's easy to point fingers at the problem, but, but how do we address this both within the church and within our own lives? What, what we should look to first and foremost, what should we look for for those who uh, aspire to the, the, the office of pastor? Are, are you yourself leading others as God has called you to lead? So, so husbands, are you leading and loving your wives as Christ led and loved the church? So not in this domineering way, but in this sacrificial way. Uh, men, in general here, are we discipling others to know and to treasure Christ above all things? Ladies, the same question goes to you as well. I know this opens me up and, and the other pastors up to examination and, and should be careful examination of our lives, of our leadership. And, and, I, and to that, I think all of us as elders would say that's good. That is needed. If the church is to be and to remain healthy, it, it does start with, Leaders who follow, first and foremost, the leadership of Christ. So, so what's the cause of the leadership problem within the church today? And, and what do we do to move forward in a healthy and God-honoring way? On well, Judges 10 and 11, Israel is facing a, a problem, and they need a leader. And so in Israel, there's a, a leadership deficiency that needs to be fixed. Unfortunately, as we're going to see as we work through our text this morning, Israel chooses poorly. They find a leader with skills and with abilities, but he's also one of ungodly character. And so as the story unfolds in the life of Jephthah, cracks are going to be seen. And cracks are going to be forming over time because skill and ability, though useful, can only hide a lack of character for a season. And because they didn't value the character of a leader more than their ability, it eventually led to Israel's further decline and slide into ruin and destruction. Judges is this really interesting book in that though it's highlighting the brokenness of the human heart and and what our sin eventually leads us to, which is our ruin, it's also this, this beautifully written book where this common thread is just woven throughout the narrative that is always and constantly pointing outside of itself to the true and better king, a God who reigns, a God who leads his people. A God who is not absent but very present in their lives regardless of what they do or how they live or how they respond to him. Judges is a book which ultimately is pointing us to Christ, our true and better judge, our true and better deliverer. And this is true even from the text today. That because Christ is the true and better judge, true and better deliverer, the true and better and perfect leader, We must raise up godly men and women who will reflect Christ to others and joyfully follow after him. So as we look at the text today, I want us to examine the need for leadership that Israel had. They they needed this leader to rescue them. And just as they needed leadership, we also need godly leadership in our lives. But, But there were mistakes that were made. So what were these mistakes that they made in the choice of this leader named Jephthah? And how can we learn from this as we identify leaders within the church? as we identify and look to what what we should look for within leadership in in our own lives, and as we seek to lead others by God's grace? What do we learn from this narrative? But ultimately, how do we see Christ? How do we see him as the perfect leader and rescuer? So the first thing to note is is this. See your need to be led. See your need to be led. The last two verses of chapter 10, they, they reveal Israel's need for a leader. So, Uh, In in enemy nation, uh, the Ammonites, they're setting up camp and gearing up to battle against Israel. So Israel begins to gather themselves, gather their army, and and they begin to set up camp just south of where the the Ammonites are in this village called uh, Mizpah. But in verse 18 is where we kind of hone in for for this specific point, where they're recognizing their need. In verse 18 it says, the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, who is the man? who will begin to fight against the Ammonites. He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Now, Now notice in that verse, who's asking the question? Who is the man who will lead us? Who is the man who will fight for us? Notice who's asking that question. It's actually a group of Israelite leaders. So it's an interesting thing to note because even here we see and can recognize that leaders need leading. Leaders need leading. The the leaders of Israel here were recognizing that their their skills and their abilities, they weren't sufficient for the task at hand, for what was facing them from the Ammonite army. They were most likely the the elders of the region. What they needed was a military leader. They needed someone skilled and experienced in battle. This is all understandable as they're facing an, an enemy. The problem, as we'll see in our our next point, is that that they were only valuing this this military leader's skills and ability. They weren't looking any deeper than that. They weren't looking for someone of strong, godly character to lead the people of God, to match that skill. But but we'll get there in just a a minute. But what's important to note here in this text is the need that, that we all have for leadership in our lives. Again, Israel was facing a a physical army, a physical presence, a physical enemy, the Ammonite army. We face a spiritual enemy who is is set on bringing about our destruction, your destruction. 1 Peter 5 verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, he's prowling around like a roaring lion with one mission, seek someone to devour. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus says, listen, the thief, the enemy, he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 says, put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly places. We have a spiritual enemy out there that is seeking to bring out our ruin, bring us our destruction. We need godly leadership in our lives. Within the church of Christ, we need shepherds. We, we need those who will lead others to know Christ and to treasure him. We need pastors who will love you enough to point out sin in your life that, that, that needs to be repented of. We need leaders who will boldly and faithfully proclaim God's truth unapologetically, yet to do so still with grace and with humility. We, we need a culture, though, within the church of brothers and sisters who are leading others to know and treasure Christ above all things. And, and so as we lead others, we ourselves need to be following the perfect leadership of Christ, the true and better leader. So This is the hope that we have of the gospel, of what we, we proclaim this morning through baptism, that there is no other king, there is no other Lord but Christ. He is it. He has laid down his life. He has given himself for us so that through faith in him, in him alone, through no work of ourselves, no work of religious actions or religious piety, can we be accepted with God. There's nothing we can do and there's nothing that that we can conjure up to to make God accept us. No, we need to place ourselves under the perfect leadership and sacrifice of Christ who went to the cross. We, We set ourselves and submit ourselves to him. Because it's only through Jesus that you are, you are forgiven. It's only through Jesus that you are accepted. It's only through Jesus that God the Father, a holy God, looks upon you and says and declares you are justified. This, we follow the perfect and true leader as we seek, by God's grace and his spirit, to lead one another. And so who are you leading in your life to better know and treasure Jesus? And are you yourself following the true, better, and perfect leader? It's it's the church of Jesus Christ. It is the, the vessel used of God to advance the hope of the gospel into the world. And so to do so means we must be serious about leading and discipling others as we ourselves place ourselves underneath the leadership of Christ. See, Israel was recognizing their need, yet they made a costly mistake and one we must learn from. And that is, secondly, that we must value character over ability. We must value character over ability. In chapter 11, Israel, they, they choose Jephthah to lead them. In verses 1 through 3 of 11, the author gives this brief snapshot of Jephthah. And, and though it was brief, it's sufficient to give, to give warning to what was going to lie ahead for Israel if they placed themselves under his leadership. See, in verse 1, it says Jephthah was this mighty warrior, but just two verses later, in verse 3, the author of Judges also highlights that he was surrounded by worthless fellows. Now, it seems maybe somewhat innocent enough, worthless fellows, but the, the Hebrew word worthless is the word rakim, which means morally reprehensible. It's a strong language, strong way to describe the, these, these guys that were following Jephthah's leadership. They were morally reprehensible. The leaders of Israel would have known this reputation of Jephthah. His reputation went before him. Yet Israel here prized and valued his might in battle, his ability and his skills more than they were valuing his character. And this costly mistake will lead to Israel's further slide into ruin as we'll see in the coming chapters and weeks ahead. Likewise, when we value and prize only a leader's skill and ability over his character we're going to reap the consequences of that decision. See, who we follow is going to shape and form who we become. In, in verses 4 through 11, Jephthah, he rightly says to the leaders of Israel, listen, if you want me to lead you into battle, if you want this, this victory delivered to you, that means I will be your ruler to which Israel agrees to that. They recognize if we call you to this, that means we're placing ourselves underneath your leadership, leadership influence, which is going to form and shape us. It's why Paul said to the church in Corinth, imitate me, be formed and shaped, but as I'm being formed and shaped by Christ, leadership is influence. It shapes and forms who we are and who we become. Now, this doesn't mean that skill and ability aren't important in the life of a leader. They, They certainly are. However, our, our flesh wrongly believes that a person's skill and ability is what should be prized the most. And if they happen to have good character, well, that's just a bonus. There's a lot of similarity here between the, be, be, between the life of Jephthah and really if, you, if you're familiar with the life of King Saul and his anointing as, as king, there's a lot of similarity between the two. Uh, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, Israel says, we have no king. We want to be like the other nations that are surrounding us. They all have a king. Why don't we have a king? God, give us a king. They didn't want to submit to the kingship of of their God. They said, no, give us a human king. And so in 1 Samuel 9, there's the selection of Saul. In Judges 11, they're choosing Jephthah because he was a mighty warrior. In 1 Samuel 9, listen to what drew the people towards Saul. It says in verses 1 and 2 that there was a, a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeor, son of Bacaroth, son of Afiah and the, uh, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. It's, it's almost like the author, it's like I'm trying to find something good here. He's really good looking. Did I mention he's a handsome guy? Oh, and he's tall. He's tall. There's the qualification. His dad was rich. Saul was handsome and tall. Seems good enough to me, right? Lead this nation, Saul. You're taller than I am. So you must know. Now, see, we chuckle at that because we recognize that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. But how often are we drawn to leaders kind of for the same reasons? Because of their outward appearance only. Because they wow us with something. We do it all the time. It's really the culture in which we live. Right? Look a certain way. Brand yourself a certain way. Present your outward appearance to the world a certain way. This give this outward picture of yourself that, that hides and masks who you really are. There's a commercial on TV right now I saw the other day where it opens with this, this uh, kid that's at a playground, and they're picking teams to play, uh, play basketball. And so the camera is kind of close up on this probably eight-year-old kid or so. And so he's, okay, for my team, I pick uh, Charles. And the, and the camera pans over to which you see Charles Barkley standing next to a bunch of eight-year-olds like on the playground. He's, he's you know, six seven six eight. I don't know how tall he is, but the, the kids next to him are like coming up to here and he, he's like, yeah, I still got it, you know, like, and, and so all the kids, again, they're, they're barely reaching and, and so I looked at that and watched that commercial I'm like, man, what a picture that is of how quickly and how often we just pick a leader. Ah, you're tall. You've got something that, that, that wows me. You have, it seems like, the most skill, and that's as far as it gets. And then we wonder why we have the mess within churches that we do. In 1 Samuel 10, Saul is proclaimed king because that's what the people wanted, because he was tall and handsome, and his dad had some money. By chapter 13, Saul had already walked in disobedience. Three chapters later, he's already walking in disobedience to God's command, bringing harm to himself, God's people. By chapter 15, it says God rejects him. Five chapters is all it takes. Before God rejects Saul as king. In the following chapter, God says, I'm going to anoint a new king. God takes a moment in this anointing to teach Israel, here's what matters in leadership. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it says, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Our focus on our lives and then the lives of others should be on the development of godly character. Skill is useful. But, but skill and ability can be developed in a relatively short time. Like, if we apply ourselves, we can learn things pretty quickly, if we really want to. Uh, several years ago, my son, one night, he was going to bed, and for whatever reason, he had this Rubik's Cube. And uh, we never taught him how to do the Rubik's Cube. I don't know how to do it. I can do maybe one level, and that's about as far as it gets. But he was going to bed, and one night, he just set in his mind, he's like, I want to learn how to do this. So he stayed up for, like, several hours just watching some YouTube videos, and the next morning, he comes up, hey, hey, watch, and like within three minutes, he's doing the Rubik's Cube. We got done. And, and so I'm like, it doesn't take us long. If we really want to do something, learn something, we can, we can develop skill in a relatively quick time. But character, character is developed over a lifetime. And it takes time. You don't go to bed just... I mean, just seething in anger, fly at the, like just your, your, the switch is flipped just really quickly. Like, I mean, you just like always have this, like this just anger and rage problem. And you go to bed one one night and wake up next morning, it's just gone and you're just walking through a peaceful, dewy meadow. It just doesn't happen like that. But skill can be learned quickly. Character takes time. If a leader has ungodly character, then what will eventually happen over time is they will actually begin to use their skills, use their abilities to further their name, their image, get what they want. Skill and ability is useful, but it must be shaped and formed and subjected to godly character. It must be shaped underneath that. Tim Challies says it best, says any man can teach what the Bible says. but He says only a man of character can live what the Bible demands. All of us can feel the weight of that. We all can quickly learn what to say, what to do, how to present ourselves, but only a person of character It's going to be shaped and formed by what Scripture calls us to in our lives. And the leaders who live what the Bible demands in spite of what their flesh wants, those are the leaders that should be followed. Value character over ability. Lastly, we'll see this morning that what we can learn from Israel's mistake is that we want to recognize as quick as possible, recognize the cracks that begin to form in ungodly leaders. In verses twelve through twenty-eight, though those verses weren't read this this morning, I want to cover them just quickly here because those verses are highlighting Jephthah's skills, but but I believe also a crack which begins to form, which should have been, I think, a warning to Israel. In these verses, Jephthah he's seen in in Israel as a skillful negotiator, a skillful diplomat. Before going into battle, he actually seeks to avert conflict by sending messengers to the Ammonites, to the king there. To ask him, what, what is the deal? Why are you guys setting up camp and coming against us? And he's wanting to seek some form of peaceful resolution. And so the Ammonites, they respond back to him, and they're saying, listen, we're claiming you guys, Israel, you guys stole our land from them. When, the, when you guys were, were being led out of Egypt over 300 years ago, you, you stole this land, and now we want it back. That's the big That's the big dispute. You took this land from us 300 years ago. We want it back now. Now Jephthah engages with that, and he shows actually a basic understanding of Israel's history. And he replies back with with the with the the history of the Exodus. He says, "Listen, Israel, we didn't steal anything." Israel didn't steal anything. As he, he goes on to share the story that you see in Numbers chapter 20 and 21 through 24. It says as, as Israel was was traveling toward the land that God had promised them after freeing them from Egyptian slavery, they, there were several regions that they had to get through to get to the promised land, the land of Canaan. Now they sent messengers to each of these regions, the king of Edom and the king of Moab, and they said, hey, can we just pass through your land? We're not going to take anything. If we, if we use anything, we'll repay. We just want to pass through to get to the land where God has promised us. Both those kings said, no, you cannot pass through. So Israel, they they obey that and they say, okay, we won't pass through. So they go all the way around into the wilderness, uh, bypassing those regions. And they land on the northern side of the the region of Moab, which is then just north of them is where the the Amorite army, the Amorite kingdom was. Well, they ask that king again, hey, we just want to pass through. We want to get to our land that God has promised. We don't want your land. We just want to get through. Well, the the, the Amorite king says, no, I'm not going to allow you to come through. I don't trust you. And in in fact, I'm going to gather my army. We're going to come down. We're going to battle against you. And so they go to battle against this, this king of this land. Well, Israel, we see in the book of Numbers, they won the battle, which resulted in them acquiring that land. And that was 300 years now has gone by where they've lived in that region Israel had. And, and what Jephthah is saying to this king now is like, listen, 300 years, no one's contested this. And, and so what is your deal all of a sudden? This is where we can see in his life skill can be developed probably rather quickly. He, he knew Israel's history. He was, he was part Jewish. He shows himself to be a fairly skilled negotiator. He's seeking peace rather than conflict up to this point like, we could, we could say and argue he's leading skillfully. It's shining through and somewhat impressive. It's verse 24, though, where I believe that you, you begin to see a crack in his character. In his negotiation with the king of the Ammonites, he says, Will you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? And all that the Lord our God has dispossessed before us will possess. So he's saying in his negotiation, listen, man, like, your God has given you your land. Our God's given us our land. Can we just live in peace? Seems innocent enough. However, Jephthah is in that moment equating the God of Israel on the same level as the gods of these other nations. He, he's placing the one true God on this equal footing with these false pagan gods. And, and he's almost seeing God of Israel as one of other gods, now, the people of Israel, God's children, whom history had shown God had time and time again delivered them from their enemies, showed his power, his might, faithfulness, provision, his goodness, his love, his character. They should have recognized in that moment that that's, there's something wrong with that. This, this should have been an, uh-oh, what'd you just say? The, the man we're asking to lead us, lead God's people, he sees God as just one of others. Not not really the one true God. Now he might have seen God as more powerful than the other gods, but there's still this this equating of God among others. Ungodly leaders may possess high levels of competency, but sooner or later their character or lack of it's going to begin to shine through. The foundation is going to crack. If you let that go unchecked because wow man, but their skills their abilities, they're just so mesmerized. I mean, like, the way he speaks, the way he leads, way, I mean, he's such a people person. He's so friendly. Like, like, when we let those things overshadow character deficiencies, everything in time will begin to crumble. It's what we see very quickly develop in the life of Israel. Many of us in here are homeowners. Imagine walking into your basement one day to discover just a small crack in the, in the foundation, I think nothing of it in, in, in the moment. Let's just get a fresh coat of paint, cover that thing up. We'll, we'll slap paint in there in the crack. There you go. Can't even see it. A month might go by and you, you walk down there again. You see that crack again, but this time it's bigger. I'll just get the paint out. Let's get another gallon. Let's slather it up against this crack. Let's cover it up. We... We all know what's going to happen over time as that crack begins to form and get bigger and bigger and bigger. We know the foundation of that home is going to become compromised. And because of that, the whole structure of the home, on which which it rests upon that foundation, is going to collapse. That's what happens when we follow ungodly leadership. We're shaped and formed by it. So over time, we're going to be shaped and formed by it just like we must take cracks in our home foundation seriously, we've got to begin to take the cracks that begin to form in leaders seriously because we're shaped and formed by those we follow. God has placed leaders over his church to shepherd, to protect it. He's called the people of God within the church, husbands, fathers, men, women. We we are to lead one another to know and to treasure Christ. Ungodly leaders Call others to come follow them and then get out of my way. Their, their ungodly leaders are going to use people to accomplish their will and their purpose in life to only further their name, their image, their reputation, because the primary love is themselves, and they're going to hide behind their skills and abilities. Godly leaders are going to call others to, to follow them as they follow Christ, as they are shaped first and foremost by the gospel. Leadership is a weighty responsibility. And my heart aches for, for some who have been wounded deeply by ungodly leadership. But leadership is a weighty responsibility. For those charged with the leadership of the church itself, they should feel the weight of that. Pastors should feel the weight of that responsibility. As members of this local church here, you should expect and require that, that any man who fills the, any role of pastor in this church is first and foremost seen as a man of godly character. It doesn't mean, of course, that they never do wrong. It means that what it does mean is that if, or really we should say when they do wrong, they confess and they repent of it right away. They don't seek to justify it. They don't seek to explain it. They don't seek to rationalize it or defend it. We own it. We cling to the hope of the gospel. We need Jesus just as you need Jesus but for all of us in here as well that we're called to lead in one way or another. We we're to lead ourselves as we pursue holiness, we, to live lives of repentance and faith in Jesus. We are called to lead others to do the same. And as the church, we should feel the, the weight of that responsibility as well, this, this, this reality that Scripture calls us to be bound together. We're bound to one another in faith. We're a covenant community a faith as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're responsible for one another. But above all, we follow the perfect leader, the one who has gone before us, the one who has done what we could not do, the one who has lived how we could not live, the one who has given of himself, the one who has laid down his life on the cross so that we could be set free from, and to live life eternally with a holy God forever and ever. Jesus is the true and the better judge deliverer, and leader. Where all of us fail, he was perfect. Therefore, as we hope and rest in the the gospel, let us then, by God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, strive, strive to lead others to know and to treasure Christ above all things. Let's pray together.